0: Welcome into another episode of Soccer City, where we feature the Major League Soccer side that plays in the Bronx, soccer from around the world, and also how the sport of soccer affects us here in the five boroughs in New York City. Today, David Amoyal, it's a guy that knows more about Italian soccer than anybody I know. Uh, He'll cover our global segment, there's a couple of Serie A sides in the Champions League, and New York City FC. They are still unbeaten in MLS after four matches. We'll uh, discuss their difficult test in New England uh, with one of my broadcast partners, Dylan Butler. But first, we kick it off with our City in the Community segment, and uh, I want to welcome in uh, a guest who has been involved in the city as a player, as a coach. As a, a guy on the board of a club and now the director of a club, uh, he's Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Glenn.
1: Thanks for having me well, in.
0: Well, this is great to have you in. To really, uh, you've, been, you've been in the community, involved in the five boroughs with this game for uh, how long? You tell me. Well, I came to Columbia University
1: to study and play in 1981, and so I've been playing, coaching, uh, been a parent, Uh, For two soccer players, uh, served on boards, and continue to do so. And uh, as you said, I'm now the uh, Director of Youth Development at Downtown United Soccer Club. Now, where's Downtown United Soccer Club? Where's that located? Where are your fields? Things like that. Well, like any great uh, New York City club, our fields are wherever we can get permits. (laughs) However, our main hub is at Hudson River Park Pier 40, which we're very grateful to have. But we play at Randall's Island. Um, we play at Brooklyn Bridge Park, um, and as I said, any other piece of green we can get, we're there playing. And so um, we are representative of downtown, but we have players from all five boroughs, and we have uh, a great breadth of programming from rec to our travel academy teams and summer camps. So um, I'm really enjoying my gig there and, and helping to grow the game for our club and in New York City.
0: One of the things we're really trying to emphasize on this program when we do this uh, community segment, the underserved communities, uh, there is so much discussion, since, especially since our men were uh, failed to get into the World Cup for Russia 2018, but the underserved communities are, are being uh, uh, highlighted, uh, but especially this pay to play issue. What's one of the ways, or if there's a couple of ways, that you kind of uh, tackle that pay to play issue within your own club and then what you've observed in the city?
1: So with Downtown United, I- I think we are one of the most generous clubs, not just in the city, but uh, across the country in terms of the financial aid that we give our players. And we have a need-based financial aid policy, uh, not just for our travel players but across our programming whether it's for camps or rec soccer uh, that alone changes the narrative a little bit one of the uh, initiatives that downtown united has with nycfc is a program called citizens giving where the citizens football gives uh, downtown united a grant to run after school programs in underserved neighborhoods in the city and what that has done for us as a club is opened our eyes to the demand in those communities for programming We can provide that uh, space for underserved communities with older age groups because they can come to us. But we, with the younger age groups, feel like we need to go find field space um, and help them fill that demand by bringing our excellent coaches, our programs. And so um, it behooves me as the uh, director of development in our club to go out and fundraise um, to enable us to secure fields like, for example, on the Lower East Side where there's a huge demand in the community for um, rec soccer and for soccer programming. We are making our best efforts to do that, and not just to grow our club, but to create access and to break barriers in those underserved communities so that everybody can benefit from the incredible transformational aspects of the game.
0: Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Director of Youth Development, Downtown United Soccer Club, our guest here on Soccer City. Uh, zone one, we need to define what exactly that means and then take that the next step. Again, as we look uh, at the uh, the disruptors, the outliers, as you have put it in the past, uh, how we are serving the community in zone one.
1: Sure. Well, um, one of the Fantastic programs that I, I, I'm lucky to be associated with is the United States Soccer Foundation Soccer for Success program. And they, um, besides providing many after-school programs that are connected with the well-being of these students in that Zone 1, base, which I will define roughly as the younger elementary school age groups, um, uh, provide uh, soccer, provide great nutritional uh, um uh, advice um, as they go through that curriculum, but they the foundation is also building, in conjunction actually with NYCFC uh, and many other organizations, mini pitches, uh, so that uh, in a futsal type environment, whether it's an old basketball court, tennis court, playground that hasn't been used, refurbishing it And creating a playing space for soccer, not just for the Soccer for Success programs, but for those kids in those schools and those local communities. And building those pitches, um, I believe, is a great way of creating the environment and uh, where not just those players in that local area will come, but um, you'll have older age groups come at night. Um, You'll have the teenagers come and play pickup. And so it creates a really great... Sort of soccer ecosystem, and the initiative is to build a uh, hundred pitches in and across the city. And say with that happening, I think it's a, a great step in the right direction.
0: Well, we know ten pitches have, have definitely gone up. I uh, I, I saw the uh, the opening of one of them, and there's something about uh, putting a pitch like in a cage to where it. it um, it establishes this pickup atmosphere, you know. Of course, there's basketball we know in the city, and and uh, Kyle Martino, I know in his presidential bid, uh, it, he had pictured where he he, he felt that uh, he, on those basketball courts throughout all these cities across the states, so let's put a, paint a little soccer goal underneath too, and then you can you can play both. But there's something to be said about that, and is that is that a critical part of these after school programs having uh, having space like this? Uh,
1: undoubtedly, and, and I couldn 't agree more with that and my catchphrase or hashtag that I've done at times with my social media is free and local and basketball is a good model for us to see about how do you attract urban kids to a sport without provide having to provide a huge amount of resources you create the environment by having a, a good field space and a safe field space and then they will come and so it's free and it's local which which basically knock down the biggest barriers to have kids, especially younger kids, start to play and participate, and the benefits of that beyond developing national team like level players is is goes way beyond that into having kids play instead of uh, looking down at 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 their phones or at a machine or or going home and one of the the um absolute fantastic uh um visions of that is
0: again, developing the highest level players. But it really, on a much larger scale, helps that community. We had a guest on last week, uh, Sebastian Abbott, who's written a book. And in that, uh, the statistics on pickup play versus organized, having a coach, directing everything, uh, and, the, uh, and the growth of those players, especially on the technical side, but not just the technical side, also tactically how to read the game, make decisions, it was, it was startling.
1: Well, I, I'm not surprised, and I think that in those environments, there's first of all, pl- we talk about player ownership when we get into developmental areas and coaching courses. But that is real player ownership. They oh, the, the the facility is theirs. They're the ones designing the games and making the teams, the rules, the, and and then within that, solving problems. So I think that is the a great developmental environment, and I think. The best models for an urban environment to, uh, to replicate are those that you would see in in, in uh, Brazil, Argentina, um, uh, which I think we have a lot in common with our urban centers. And if we can provide those environments, then I think the players w- w- really will be a player's culture that develops out of that.
0: All right, Kevin. Well, I'm going to look forward to coming down to your club uh, one night soon and, and speaking to some of the players that you've uh, gifted the opportunity from underserved communities to play in your club, and, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, That will be
1: great, Glenn, and uh, we have great kids across all our programs, and to have the opportunity
0: to have them speak with you will be fantastic. Kevin McCarthy, uh, Director of Youth Development for the Downtown United Soccer Club, and much, much more. Kevin, thanks so much. Thank you, Glenn. Always a pleasure. Uh, he is a columnist for Gianluca dot com, uh, freelance for ESPN, and host of Calcioland podcast, and a guy who loves New York, and I love talking to him about Italian football. David Amoyal, David, uh, how are you today?
2: Doing great. Always a pleasure to be part of your projects, coach. So I am thrilled to be part of this one. Always fun chatting with you.
0: Thank you, David. Well, we've got the Champions League quarterfinals coming up with a couple of Serie A clubs, uh, one of them Juventus. And and before we get into that a little bit, uh, Massi Allegri, uh, the coach mm-hmm. for Juventus, who's had uh, such great success, rumored to be the next PSG coach, replacing Unai Emery at the end of the season. Is there any legitimacy, as far as you know, to that report?
2: Well, Allegri has always been linked to uh, top clubs in the Premier League. He's been linked to PSG before. I think, you know, every top-level club looks at what he did at Juve. He inherited, of course, the team from Conte that had three titles. A lot of people felt like Conte had taken the team as far as they could, and Allegri actually took it a step further He keeps winning in Italy, and Juve's been a lot better in Europe. So it doesn't surprise me that he's linked uh, to big-name clubs. I actually think he's going to stick around with Juve at least a year or two more. The club recently gave him a big extension. Uh, More than that, they've sided with him with a few feuds that he had with players. Of course, Bonucci, who's now... On Milan, they really picked Allegri's side on that one. Even with DiBala this season, there were a few issues. They backed Allegri, so I think he's going to stay. Uh, the only reason I could see him maybe switching is if Juve finally wins the Champions League and they hit on all their targets. Maybe he'll think the time has come. But I think he has a good situation. At Juve, but at PSG, it really wouldn't surprise me to see his predecessor from Juve, Antonio Conte, heading there. Between the two, I would say to me, Conte has a much
0: better chance of heading there. That's the other name we're hearing. This would be a sad day for Italian football, wouldn't it? After managing uh, Sassuolo to promotion... Cagliari to their best Serie A finish in a couple yeah. of decades, guiding AC Milan to a league title and then four straight Scudettos, and three consecutive doubles, two Champions League finals. And like you said, maybe they'll get it done this year. 148 victories in 208 yeah. matches with Juventus. I mean, and, and, but he's done all his work in Italy.
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned the stats on the games. I think that's really most significant. Like, look, a lot of people can point to the fact they lost the Champions League finals, but he's still got them there, and there are huge revenues that come would with going that that far along, and that has really helped Juve long term. So I'm with you. He's really proven himself in Italy really well. We've seen, you know, Italian managers go to the Premier League, and do particularly well. So it doesn't surprise me that there's appeal for him abroad. But at the same time, he really has a club that's really on the up and up. Juve's revenues have gone up a lot. And I think, you know, he'll stay probably with a project another year or two, and then finally try to prove himself abroad.
0: David, why do you think Alegre has had success? What are the qualities that make him a good or, or a, a great manager?
2: So I I, I will say the thing about Allegri that really stands out to me is, you know, he's kind of an old school, pragmatic Italian manager. I actually really think he's the heir apparent to Lippi that won the Champions League at Juve, of course, won the World Cup in 2006. Like a manager, you look at his lineups, so often fielding three strikers, a lot of offensive players, but you can't be fooled by that. They are still a team that uh, both Felipe and Allegri's team defend really, really well. He gets even his attackers to chip in and really set up some great counterattacks. He also has a great in-game management, and I think, you know, over two legs, any team should be really concerned about facing. Juventus. I think, you know, we saw Juve lose to Real Madrid and Cardiff pretty decisively in the last final, but the season before, they had eliminated them in the semifinal, so I think Allegri over two legs has shown, you know, great ability to make really good adjustments, hurt teams with not a lot of opportunities. I think the matches we saw against Spurs, Juve was the worst team for maybe pretty much almost the entire two legs. They were just the better team for 15 minutes, and that was enough, and that was a typical Allegri win, so that's really how I would sum up his brilliance. Some would call it luck, but he's done it so many times this way that maybe it isn't luck.
0: (laughs) Andrea Pirlo, uh, his last team was Juventus before he joined New York City FC as a designated player in 2015, retired at the end of last season. He once said, I think he said this in his book about Allegri, he, he brought a sense of calm to the team, giving the players a sense of confidence. That's a pretty important quality for the manager too.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, because um, to me, Conte at Juve did a great, great work. I thought his Achilles heel was really set limitations on the team, often publicly, saying, look, in the Champions League, we can't compete with these clubs that have much bigger revenues. And then he said, you know, an Italian club will never make a deep run in the Champions League as things stand. But Allegri took the exact opposite approach. He came to Juve and said, you know, look, we need to be consistently in the top eight in Europe. If you always get to the quarterfinals, maybe one year you'll get lucky and win it. And I think, you know, the fact that you mentioned the confidence in Pirlo's book, I think there's a lot to be said to that. I think Allegri really showed Juve that they should feel confident about the ability they have on the squad. Well, I think Conte, sometimes his biggest flaw was setting his team up uh, to disappoint, giving him almost an excuse to lose. So I think Pirlo had a very astute observation with that one.
0: So in order to have success, you do need uh, elite players within your program and perhaps none more elite for Juventus than Gonzalo Higuain, who came over from Napoli in 2016. Here in the States, we certainly know about him. We see him on occasion, but he's not a guy that is promoted as one of the The world's best. Where where do you rate him uh, among the best players in the world?
2: That's a great question. I think, you know, uh, perception, unfortunately, is reality. And I think it's very easy to pigeonhole players into categories. And look, you know, there's no doubt about it that Higuain has fallen short in big matches in finals. You know, we can remember the last World Cup final where, you know, in the match for Argentina, had a huge miss against Germany. They end up losing. Then in the Copa America final, he misses the penalty. Uh, You know, with Juve in Cardiff, he was one of their better players, but, uh, you know, didn't get a a goal when Juve really needed it. So I think, you know, this has kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of people can dismiss Higuain because he falls short in the finals, but he's had so many huge goals for Juve, even against Spurs. He was clearly the best player, wasn't healthy I think he's really terrific when I look at the great number nines in the world you know I definitely think Lewandowski is better than him other than that I think he's in the conversation with the rest I think maybe a little bit too much of it is uh, is made about him falling short in the finals well I think you know a lot of what he does in the other matches needs to be recognized more so you know I think we're looking at one of the great number nines you know of the past 20 years and I hope this is the year that he gets it done in a final it can be either the champions league or the world cup final i think that's when people will really give him his due if he has a big moment in a game like that
0: all right on to the ucl the champions league juventus real madrid rematch of last year's final as you mentioned Uh, the first leg will be hosted by juve uh, on april 3rd so how are you breaking this one down david
2: so I, I, I hinted at this earlier. I actually like Juve against Real Madrid uh, over two matches, much more than one, just because I think Allegri can really work his magic. I think Zidane's done really well, obviously, in the Champions League. Which his track record speaks for itself. But I think tactically I give an edge to Allegri. Now, Juve will be without two key players in the first leg. They'll be without Pjanic, uh, who's their best midfielder, and Benatia who's had a really good season at center-back. In a way, though, you, if you had to have Pjanic in just one of the two games, you'd rather have him on the away game where goals, where one goal counts so much more. Uh, but that's going to be a struggle. Uh, I think Juve is going to really need their two offensive players, DiBala and Higuain, to do like against Spurs, like really come up big. Uh, it should be really an exciting match. I definitely give Real Madrid an edge, but I think Juve. Definitely has a chance here.
0: All right, how about AS Roma? Uh, some quite surprised that they've advanced to this stage. Eusebio Di Francesco deserves a lot of credit, the manager. Yeah. But he has to answer the question, how do you stop Messi? And that's a good question, <laughs> isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. He was asked today. They had the award for the best manager and said, yeah, he was just asked that. And he goes, look, you know, that's a great question, a tough answer, like, you have to answer it on the pitch. I think, you know, it's going to have to take a team approach to try to contain them as much as possible. But I think for Roma, they are clearly playing with house money at this point. Nobody thought they'd get out of the group when they drew both Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. They ended up winning that group. I think Zeco said it really best. You know, the reason we qualified for the Champions League is to have these great matches. I don't think anyone expected Roma to win the Champions League at the beginning of the tournament. I certainly don't think that now.
0: David Amoyal, columnist for Gianluca at ESPN, host of Calcio Land Podcast. David, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Look forward to uh, doing this again sometime.
2: Thank you so much, Coach. Always a pleasure to be on with you, and best of luck with all your projects.
0: Well, there's been some debate over his last name, but not his quality in front of goal. Ishmael Tajuri Shradi. He prefers the last name of Shradi. You can call him Tajuri Shradi. But not to jury. Well, anyway, he scored two second-half goals on Sunday, and New York City FC escaped Foxborough, Massachusetts with a 2-2 draw against the New England Revolution. New York City remaining one of four teams in Major League Soccer without a defeat through the first four weeks. LAFC undefeated uh, in the two matches they've played Philadelphia Union a win and a draw in their two matches. And the Columbus Crew SC dead heat with New York City atop the Eastern Conference. Identical three 0-1 records, the only two teams at MLS with 10 points. City played uh, this one without uh, David Villa, Alex Ring, and Roddy Wallace, three vital contributors to the best start in franchise history, with three victories to open the season. Via and Ring, they're injured. Wallace away on international duty with Costa Rica. So, Schrotty starting for the second straight game. Last week, his first goal in MLS, a 2-0 win over Orlando City in front of the friendly home supporters at Yankee Stadium. A uh, different atmosphere Sunday at Gillette Stadium where New York City had three losses in four career, uh, career games going in.
3: It was very, very hard game. We know that before the game that New England is always hot. Uh, I never play here, but uh, my teammates uh, say that. So, yeah, I think it was very big point for us because
0: we come two times back and uh, that we show that we are very, very good team and we have very, very good mentality. And so, well done, team. All right, Shradi, uh, he's got a pretty good shooting percentage. He's taken three shots this year and scored three goals, now tied for third in the league in that department. So with V and Wallace both absent, there was a new face in the starting 11, striker Inj Bergett, the Norwegian acquired on a free transfer from Swedish champions Malmo uh, FF, and he hadn't competed since his arrival in late February due to injury and then illness. He got the flu. It sounded like his greatest satisfaction Sunday was just playing the full match.
2: First game since November for myself, so
0: uh, it's been a while, so it's good to get some game time in the, uh, in the legs, and uh, the legs felt all right. It's, uh, it's a positive thing that I lasted for 90 minutes today, and uh, I think I did all right. the right, uh, led Malmo with 10 goals in 2017. He'll be serving as the backup to Villa, and he'll also compete as a winger for Patrick Vieira's squad. With 10 points, as we know, through four matches and on the road again, Saturday, in San Jose against the Earthquakes. Well, I do want to welcome in uh, a member of our broadcast stable for New York City FC matches on WNYE, Dylan Butler. He was on the call Sunday. He also writes for MLSsoccer.com, Pro Soccer USA. Uh, We share uh, writing duties in that uh, particular website. And uh, Dylan, welcome. How you doing, man?
3: Uh, Good, bud. How are you?
0: All right. And so, uh, interesting game. No question. I I want to address the injuries first, though. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone would argue that uh, if you uh, pick two players that you could ill afford to lose at any point during the season, it would be David Villa and Alex Ring, and they were both on the sideline. Villa's second straight game with a calf injury. Do we have any idea the extent of that injury?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, David did not train fully leading up to this match, uh, so it's pretty clear that... Given the turf at Gillette Stadium, given his age and the situation that uh, he was not going to be a factor, so uh, as you know, we have to wait to see if he trains fully, and and then you could start to work himself back in. The one thing Patrick Vieira did say though is he's not going to need additional time because he's missed. He he he's. Naturally fit, he calls him, just body-wise and, and the shape that he's in at 36 years old. So I think once he's able to train fully, he won't need many training sessions to to, to get back.
0: Well, we'll have to monitor this week to see how often he, uh, he trains with a full team. Then you got Ring, and Dylan, he was really my choice for team MVP over these first three weeks of the season leading into the New England game. And now he's away on international duty with Finland, called up on this international break where New York City's playing. And the word is he'll miss at least a month with uh, a knee injury. He uh, I- injured it in training uh, on Wednesday with Finland. It seems like Patrick Vieira, uh, the head coach, indicated that it won't be a month.
3: Yeah, I think I think a month is the maximum time. You know, a lot of times when you hear these injury reports, it's like a minimum of. This is a maximum of where he doesn't think it's even going to get nearly to that point. He, he knows Alex Ring. He knows the shape that he's in. He's still a younger guy. Uh, so it's not... As serious as was feared to begin with. And Ebenezer Afori stepped in for him. And he had a mixed bag of a game, I would say, struggled early on. And again, I said it on the broadcast with Tom. I didn't think, I think when you come into a new league and all his training to this point has been on natural grass surface, right? So a few heavy touches early on, I kind of wondered if it was a combination of nerves and the turf, not getting used to the, the playing surface. But I thought he had a very good second half. He played better as the game went on. He'll get more comfortable. But uh, I, when you look at the schedule, you know, maybe you, you figure Alex Ring two to three games at this point, right? No San Jose, no Real Salt Lake after the bye. The big question, though, is that is that April 15th at Atlanta, you want to have Ring with that dynamic midfield that Atlanta has. So uh, that's uh, going to be a big question mark as they go forward.
0: How about the other replacement? Bergette, our Norwegian friend, and I know you spoke to him after the game and you heard you heard his response to one of your questions that uh, yeah, I played 90, man! <laughs> <laughs> well, again, too, he's a guy
3: as you mentioned, he comes in in the preseason, he's so excited, gets a quad injury now it looks like David is not going to play, right? The Orlando game, so now he's ready to go, all of a sudden he gets the flu so he's been chomping at the bit just to get back onto the field and uh, again, a similar, I think you would grade him similarly, I think, to Ebenezer, where it was a mixed bag early on. It, it, he struggled a little bit. Uh, he mentioned there were a lot of duels, you know, a lot of balls up in the air uh, where he was battling with center back. So it, it, he he did do well as the game went on to track back further, kind of like David does to link up with the midfield and then play off and then make the run into the box. So so that was a positive, I think, as the game went on. And he, he did, did have uh, a few he, chances. He
0: did chest down a, a ball played into him as a target, which mm-hmm. led to the uh, equalizing yeah. goal uh, by... Uh our guy, Shroddy, who has become... Uh,
3: <laughs> Unbelievable. Everybody's
0: got to figure out what his last name is. And uh, I think when you score three goals on three
3: shots, you, you've you earned the right to say, this is what my name is, you call me this name.
0: Uh, Patrick said afterwards, Patrick Vieira, that he uh, thought Brad will be more disappointed with the results. So he's talking about Brad Friedel, the yep. first-year coach uh, for the Revolution, a former English Premier League opponent. Uh, he was a keeper, was Friedel for the uh, Blackburn Rovers for the most part, while Vieira was playing with uh, Arsenal. also. Uh, here is uh, a little piece from Vieira on Friedel. I think I'm really glad to um, to face Brad because we are both ex football player and we bring in our experience to to the to the game that we both love so much. And I think, uh, you know, when you've been a player, there's some stuff that you can anticipate, but overall we are sharing the same passion and, uh, and, and I think it's good to see ex-football players going into, uh, into coaching because, because that's it what we love and that's it what we know doing best. So Vieri we know, has a lot of respect for Friedel, like you could just tell. And uh, Tom Colker, you mentioned Tom, he was your broadcast partner for this one, uh, said in the pregame with Patrick that they had met 11 times, Vieira with eight wins, two draws, and just one loss, which I guess you would expect Arsenal uh, against Blackburn. Uh, next up, though, Dylan, is San Jose. Uh, like New England this week, the Earthquakes get an extra week to prepare because they had a bye week. But uh, on their bye weekend... They uh, played an exhibition against Club Leon, which uh, not just your normal exhibition, because <laughs> this guy Landon Donovan was playing. So, yeah. what was this all about?
3: Yeah, I mean, he comes back into town, back into San Jose, where of course he played for the Quakes, and and uh, so the fans in in Northern California happy to see him back. And it was an interesting move, right? Because he he com- he comes out of retirement to join Club Leon. And honestly, the first thought that I had, the very my my hot take, if you will was this is this is a publicity stunt for Club Leon right because here is a, a guy who symbolized american soccer for years and he's going to play in Liga MX so i wasn't sure what he would have he's still trying to find his way with the team he's only played so far primarily in some some copa matches he hasn't featured in the Liga MX matches but look hey here he comes back to to California against his former club scores the only goal, so a uh, fun fun day for him certainly. And and he you know he had a lot of media, a lot of fans there.
0: Dylan Butler, he of the uh, many on the New York City FC radio broadcast in English here on WNYE, also a contributor to MLSsoccer.com Soccer dot com and Pro Soccer USA. Dylan, thanks so much, man. All right, bud. I uh, the NYCFC U seventeen Academy boys. They're in Frisco, Texas, for the Generation Adidas Cup, which included a match against the Real Madrid U-17s on Sunday. David Alino scores in the 56th minute. Alex Rando, superb in goal... A one nothing clean sheet for the young boys in blue, a roster that included Joe Scally, who signed with the first team last week, becoming the second homegrown player for NYCFC, joining James Sands. Scally. he'll begin training full-time with the first team this summer after his school year is complete. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. Heard every Tuesday at 1 o'clock on WNYE New York 91.5 FM and also available on the TuneIn app. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great day, everybody.